From Paddock to Plate Network. I'm your host, Louise Fitzroy, the founder of From Paddock to Plate. And here's a tip for you. If the ground's hot, run from cowpat to cowpat. Just try to avoid the wet ones. This is the first thing I read when I opened Atisha Gray's new book, Muster Dogs. And I thought, what a resourceful eight-year-old growing up on a cattle station in the Pilbara. There's not many uses for cowpats, but this is a really good one and immediately gave me an insight into the intuitive nature of this inspiring cattlewoman, just like her Australian Kilpies, devoted, loyal and intuitive. From ringers to scrubbers and toothpasting, listen in if you want to learn the lingo and discover skills and techniques to training your own team of work dogs. How did you initially test out the cow pat theory to save your bare feet from the scolding earth? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Well, yeah, well, trial and error. Um, yeah, that was trial and error, and I learned that one the hard way. <laughs> but it's, it is probably one of my most vivid childhood memories of being on the land is just always being barefoot and always burning my feet and mm. just trying to, sometimes the shade was too far apart, so you'd have to stop part way. And, uh, yeah, I don't know why I didn't just wear shoes. <laughs> I know. Well, no, this is far more fun, honestly. But what happened when you stepped in a wet one? Like, like you know. Well, yeah, like it, they they can hold a bit of heat too. You'd be surprised. <laughs> and I was hoping that maybe you know all that extra you know, nutrient and whatever yeah. else I might have grown a bit taller, but apparently not. Oh, Doesn't work that way. Fantastic. What makes the Pilbara so special? Oh, well, I'm born into it, so yeah. I just have this. I guess I have it in my blood now. But yeah, um, it's it's rugged. It is harsh. It's rugged. It's a little bit like the last frontier, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot. of wild country and and that's still in the Pilbara um but on our our station in particular it's uh you don't have to go far south and the country really flattens out so we've got these beautiful hills and ranges and valleys and it's just it is really harsh but it is really beautiful as well and so there's just something about it that's it's it's the rugged rough glory I suppose it's just it is just beautiful Absolutely. Uh, look, I and I know that you actually um, were or went to or, you know, were part of Carnarvon School of the Air. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to say that they actually incorporate from Paddock Plate Resources into the curriculum there now. So that's oh, really good. exciting. Did you love remote yeah. remote learning? I did. I did because it meant that I could just stay on the station around my animals. I actually... <laughs> never enjoyed going to school camps and things because I'd have to try and you know mingle with other kids and yeah. and it just wasn't my forte I was just painfully shy whereas yeah. my brother absolutely loved it yeah know? yeah um, yeah so working from the station was perfect for me because we could still be involved in everything and I just did my best to try and get out of the classroom any chance I could <laughs> I can imagine look what I loved about your book congratulations on your book Master Dogs by the way it's a fantastic read mm-hmm. um finished it in two days you know couldn't put it down loved it um and I must say that I've learned a lot of new lingo um for example you know I'm a country girl I grew up on a farm in northern New South Wales but completely different to where you grew up and I just love all the different terminology, like toothpasting, for example. What What is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny going through the book because I'd be writing things. I'm like, oh, this is just normal. And then the publisher would yeah. be like, so I'm going to need a little bit more explanation <laughs> on a few of these. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so toothpasting is actually where, like, if you've got a beast running, 
And if you imagine, if you've got a vehicle coming in on either side, trying to put it back in the mold, mm. if you're both coming at it, pressuring it from either side, it's yep. just going to make it run faster because it feels like it has to beat the block. Yep. So you're basically just squeezing it out the end of the toothpaste and make it run oh. faster. And what you really want to do is actually make the animal stop. So right. it's also been called Chinese laneway. I'm not quite sure where that one's come from. Yep. I don't know, but we've always called it toothpasting. Amazing. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Backing, you know, I I am kind of familiar with because I come from a a, a merino wool property. So I kind of get that where the the dog, you know, mainly for the yards where the dog will jump on the back of the sheep, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, The quarter bubble. I don't don't know that one. No, so that's a Neil McDonald term. And uh, it's essentially so... You, you have your stock parked into a corner of a pen so that you are trying to keep your dog away from the stock. So you're working between your dog and the stock. And if you've put them into a quarter bubble, it means you only have like basically a 45 degree piece of the pie that you have to work at a time. And then you go to a half bubble. So then you're working you know, half of the pie kind ah, of deal. Gotcha. So that's the quarter bubble. Yeah, it's a Neil McDonald term, that one. Yeah, love it. Um, scrubbers, ringers, call off. Um, spear traps. Spear traps is one. Um, when I was an ABC journal, I used to uh, work um, in the Northern Territory. And I actually I actually um, saw this firsthand um, where they you build traps on water points, as you did on, on Glen Forry. Um, as a as a way of mustering the cattle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they uh, they do take they can take a little bit of training, but they're actually really effective, and we're using it more and more uh, this year. Right. And yeah, it's it's really good. Even getting cattle that haven't actually been handled before, uh, yeah, they we've been able to trap bulls and things, and which is good for me because I'm quite happy to retire out of the bull wagon and having to actually catch the feral cattle. Um, if I can just get them into a yard nicely, I'm all for it rather than having to, you know, lap them on a flat. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It does sound a little less, um, um, you know, of work, right? Because um, when I was reading your book, uh, there are so many adventures, so many stories, but one that, like, I was mesmerised by by was uh, the fact that you can actually headlock a bull in while you're driving the bull wagon during a muster. Yeah. Yeah, with a catching arm, and that was brilliant. It was, it was such a good thing to get because that way they're for the animals that won't stay in the mob, and we give them every chance we can to stay in the mob nicely. Like that is the ideal is that they don't try and run away. But I mean, especially for the bulls, they don't know other competition out there except yeah. other bulls. Really, yeah. you know, they're king of the jungle out there, and so it's a it's a bit of a um, a hard knock for them to realize that there's something bigger out there so often they will try and run away they won't want to stay with the cows or the rest of the mob so you um the catching arm is is an arm it's on a hydraulic motor and you can just spin it around it catches them behind the neck and then you walk them to a tree you tie their head to a tree you know with a a length of rope and so they can stand there under the shade until you're able to come back and get them later in the day and put them into the cattle yards that's it's incredible like that's that's amazing um i would be absolutely terrified doing that <laughs> but i guess it's a, it is an adrenaline rush yeah that's for sure but i guess the bull wagon yeah. is designed to to cope with bulls i mean like you've got you've got the roll bars right and you've got like the the, the you know protect like it's designed that way to, to handle a bull if it charged at you yeah, it is. Uh, though in saying that, mine doesn't actually have a door. I'm not quite oh. sure why mine have never ended up with. <laughs> yeah, how come you got the one without the door? 
Oh, yeah, I'm not sure. But uh, most of the time, they will actually go for your front tyre. Oh, uh, I think okay. because on the on a bull, it's the equivalent of the front leg, right? So oh, when yeah. they're fighting, they try to in behind the front leg to unbalance them. So they often go for your front tyre. But I have had a poly bull once come and actually shove his head in over top of my legs. And I, so I had one foot stuck on the clutch, one foot stuck on the brake, and then this <laughs> bull's head there in front of my knees. And so I had to wait until he extracted himself before he could go again. But yeah, normally they, they don't actually come in any of the doors, but it is, yeah. <laughs> did that, that, bull, that bull has horns as well, right? So poly bulls don't have oh. horns. So I picked the right one. Oh, yeah. good. Okay, I was going to so say. Really, just, yeah, yeah, he just came in for a pat. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I had to let him yeah exactly oh my god so um I, look i grew up with kelpies on the farm and but like like yourself as someone who has enjoyed the company of both because i know that you also had like one healer or, or i'm sure you have you've had a couple but what makes the kelpie so outstanding ah there's something about them and i always say like they're, they're not i don't think they're better than collies but yeah. there's something about the kelpie that always makes me want to have them like i can see a brilliant collie out there and I really appreciate the work, but I don't have that desire to own them. Yeah. Whereas a Kelpie is a completely different matter. They're just, they're intelligent, they're loyal. Um, they get along probably the, one of the biggest things from the healers in temperament wise is that they just get along so well, especially yeah. if they're if they're brought up right, you know, and um, you can have all these different teams, all of these different dogs just getting along. You don't have to worry about taking them to even if you end up in town, taking them out to a park and ending up with in a bit of a fight. Or, yeah. And my healer used to bite people. Like it's just, yeah. they're brilliant guard dogs. Yes. But I just don't like having that hanging over all the time. Of so, course, yeah. Yeah, I just, um, they're agile, they're funny, their personalities are all different. <laughs> yeah. They're just brilliant workmates to have around. I think they've just got a little bit of everything. Yeah. A bit of back chat. So true. And like, as you say, like, you know, they've all got different personalities as well. I mean, like reading about the ones you, you have, and by the way, I love their names, like Chrissy, Flora, Cruz, Zen, Cash, <laughs> Jinx, Sass, love that. Gossip Girl. I mean, that was, that's awesome. Um, but like, how, like they've all got different personalities, don't they? They do. Yeah. And I would, I think Neil McDonald's on the money when he says, be careful what you name them because they'll grow into their name. Is that <laughs> right? Have you I, found that over the years? Uh, I, I do think there is something there, I, but maybe it's a, you look for it, you know, you can, you yeah. can change it around so that it makes it fit. Of course. <laughs> I do now try and go, I'm going to call you chill because I really want you to just chill out. You know? <laughs> well, what was Zen like? Zen, yeah, he, he was pretty Zen. He yeah. was a little bit off with the berries. I'd say he's a little bit blonde, like, you yeah. know, just that little bit, uh, he's, um, Probably he would have been a surfer, I think, if he was a surfer. <laughs> you know, just chilled out, relaxed, you know, on the beach, that kind of, that was his thing. Love um, it. But, yeah. yeah, he did grow into his name for sure. Oh, I love that. I think um, something really valuable is um, the respect that grows between, um, you know, an owner and, and their dog. And I, I just, I, I thought that was that's great how you um, talk about that, the respect that, that you know, you earn with each other um and that's really difficult isn't it i mean particularly you know when you choose your next teammate how, like how long does it take to gain that respect yeah i guess it's um it takes a while i uh i think you know you're really starting to hit your straps when you're when they're a couple of years old is when yeah. they're hitting their straps in their work and and you just spend the, the time leading up to that really establishing that bond but 
uh, once you can actually start taking them to work and of course because that's what they love to do mm. so they really then put you in the picture and and you just your bond just gets that much deeper than what it is from just you know when they're a pup and just chilling out with you that's really good and fun but when you're actually working together and relying on each other it just it goes that next step absolutely i mean how do you choose your next teammate how do you do it so there's so many theories and wives tales and methods but Mm. honestly i go for the pup that i just feel more drawn to yeah um there's so there's no science to it like and i've gone before right i want to keep a red and tan bitch out of this litter and i ended up with a black and tan dog just because there was something about him that you know i just felt this a bit more of a bond and that's what i think Greg Prince, who says, pick the pup that you like and you'll spend more time with it. And that is what is going to make or break the dog is how much time you spend with it. But then at the same time, I don't feel like every dog um, is the right one for me. Or like mm. Flora, she'd been through a few homes before I she ended up with me. And uh, same as I've had some dogs that are absolutely brilliant, but they just, I didn't have that bond. And like you don't sort of have that same click or connection or friendship with every person you meet it's the same with dogs you know mm. you've you've got to match up to have that right nature and connection so i would rather if a dog's not going to reach their full potential with me find them a home where they can and you know make sure that all the dogs that i keep i have that connection and bond with so we can both reach our potential how important is it to see you know the situation from the dog's perspective oh huge that's massive that's probably one of the biggest um, learning curves that I had to have, I think, and it flows wow. on through everything. It's not even just the dogs. Like you start seeing things from the cattle's perspective, yeah. other people's perspective. It um, pulls you up on being too judgmental, and it really mm. just—I think it makes you a much better person because all of a sudden you can see the other side of the coin, and you're not just so focused on your own point of view that you, you know, there's there's so much more to it than just what you can see. So I yeah. just think it is so important, and it just goes across everything in life and knowing it just took 100 percent, yeah and knowing the reason why like the the dog takes the actions that it takes out in the out in the paddock you know like it perhaps it's not what you had in mind but obviously there's a reason the dog they're intelligent there's obviously a reason you know whether it's making mischief or not there's a there's a reason (laughs) right it might not be the good reason (laughs) but there's a reason yeah no it is and uh, often they can see things that i can't like they're still teaching me so much about body language and the different situations and i am learning so much from them and often like i know one of the (laughs) one time we had someone watching chopper pilot had landed and it was watching me yard up some cattle with my dogs Mm. and i saw he was there i was like done now I can't you know I really have to make sure I don't yell at them and <laughs> and so my dog started doing what I would have want didn't want them to do and yeah. I couldn't do anything because I had an audience yeah and actually everything went so much better because oh. I just had to step back and shut up and let them do it because I was too embarrassed to yell <laughs> like a banshee yeah. so I was like well that's probably a bit of a note that I should try and do that a bit more often. yeah 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 exactly um like and I think like as you mentioned body language is really important like I've had so many people talk about you know the body language that they show dogs um and you know they'll be pointing in one direction for example the dog will run off in the opposite direction and they're like why like what is going on but it's clearly as you say from the dog's perspective what they are seeing what they understand um it's different to to what the 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 person is 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 
pointing at or, or identifying with. Yeah, yeah. So, and we see it from our point of view and go, if I'm pointing over there, that's the direction I want the dog to go. Whereas from the dog's point of view, you've just put your arm up and blocked that direction. You've oh, left the other direction open. I see. So, so because you've got your arm up, I see. Yep. And even, even your leg, and that's the thing, we're up high. So we think about what our arms are doing, but the dogs are down at our knee feet levels. So mm. they're watching what our legs are doing. So if our leg, even if we put the arm up one way and put our leg the other way, you know, we're sort of sending them mixed signals or they're going, well, the leg's there, so I'm going to head the other way. Like it's, it is, that's probably the biggest mind spin I had when I first went into dogs because all of a sudden everything that you just sort of grow up thinking is just the normal is actually then gets turned around to the opposite and you have yeah. to unlearn all that you know that it, it's really it is amazing and I can't recommend going to a working dog school enough they're just there's so much to it and we all sort of think we should be able to just train a dog and it's easy but uh yeah if to really do it well and to give the dogs a fair chance yeah. like to be able to learn from someone who's made a living out of it and knows what they're doing is so many steps ahead what working dog schools would you recommend for those out there that are that are looking to learn more first and foremost would be neil mcdonald yeah. because he just he covers the stock handling as well and you can i went to his school without even having a dog and i was able to use a couple of his dogs uh, there and that really just set the tone and gave me a feel for it and i learned so much about stock handling even though i've been working stock for you know all my life so 25 years or something at that mm. point but it was uh yeah it just gave me a whole new perspective so new schools are brilliant i can't recommend them highly enough i think i've done about 12 now oh, wow. I, get him over, I get him over to home as often as i can and yeah. so when we're having staff there like we put them through so they could learn and then we'd all be there working on the same page and yeah great um greg prince's schools were amazing before he unfortunately passed so he was such a great trailer and had his handle on his dogs and just yeah. a really lovely man as well yeah um but there are there's quite a few uh, joe spicer he does um working dog clinics as well and he's the breeder of the pups that are in the documentary so he's uh -huh. got quite a name for himself with his dogs as well he's very successful with it Right. That's great. I, I think, uh, as you mentioned as well, it's it's not only just about educating, um, you know, ourselves, um, working with the dogs. But what I was fascinated by um, when I was reading your your book and and from the documentary as well is that cattle education or educating the cattle is really paramount in in how smoothly and successfully a muster will go. And I I completely omitted that initially um from from the work um until reading your book and understanding why that's so important yeah it is huge it's not something that we ever did or ever put any kind of emphasis on or thought about you know we just but why not we teach we teach you know yeah. our dogs how to behave we teach our horses how we want them to behave so why not do it with our cattle and the steps like we'd always being very careful on our temperament selection in our cattle but to take it to the next step and go now we're going to actually educate you how we want you to behave as well and it's yeah it's just seen a huge improvement and for us to be able to go out now and just pick up a mob of 300 cows and go right all right we're just going to go for a walk and they just get up and they walk you know there's no oh there's no arguments yeah yeah <laughs> but like what happens... arguing unless they feel good yeah that's that's funny. what is if like a wild one like as you say like like because you do get wild ones entering, don't you, when you do the muster? Yeah. Like, 
so what happens with them? Do they do they learn from the other cattle or do they go rogue or like how do they behave? Uh, you get a bit of everything. Yeah. And I think it all depends on how you set the situation up. And sometimes if I can just stay out of the picture and stay away and off them and not include my presence too much, the dogs can actually do quite a good job of handling those stock and keeping them in with the mob. So when you have a mob of quieter stock or coacher cows, for those wilder stock to be absorbed into that definitely helps because mm. then they can they can get away from the pressure by going in amongst the other mob uh-huh. the other cattle but you do get some that you just go no thanks i don't want to be here and so that's where you're you know you try and trap them later or you might have to use the bull catcher or that side of things yeah. but um they definitely will they can be absorbed in and learn how to behave from your better educated stock so the, you know the more you've got out there you can sort of we they might um, absorb them in, you know, a few more of the ferals and yeah. and teach them teach them how to handle. Because if they're calm and chilled and not stressed, well, then that takes a little bit of the hype out of the cattle who don't know what's going on and go, oh, maybe there's no need to panic. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. No one else is. So why why should I? Yeah. Um, how's the property and feed supply looking now? I mean, I know you've just been through like four four years of drought. Um, how's everything looking there now? really good uh considering because yeah. you know it was a pretty hard drought and it yeah. was it was just so uh severe really it just the feed just fell off a cliff and and that was really hard going but it's nice to be on the other side yeah, and sure. um watching the country come back it's still the scars of yeah. of the drought but then the, the good parts of that was because we destocked we were able to give the country a chance to come back without the pressure of stock on it and a chance yeah. to reset our mustering um, management systems yeah. as well. So hopefully now going forward, we will be able to sort of mitigate the effects of the drought a lot more, which is a huge pressure off. Like it's just to be on 100%. the other side and now actually feel like we can be a little bit more proactive instead of reactive. Absolutely. Is, that's a, it's a huge, huge pressure off. A takeaway from your book again. I I, I love this. You know, it, I don't. I can't remember. You can you can um remind me who said this or where this came from. But if you're checking the weather forecast daily, you haven't correctly matched your stocking rate to your grazing capacity. I think that's that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and it is so true. And it's so nice when you can get away from that point of stressing about it and go, oh, mm. we got caught out. We got caught out with cattle in the yards just last week because I hadn't actually looked at the weather forecast (laughs) and we had a surprise 16 mil overnight. Oh, right. Um, Okay. Yeah. And uh, so, but just to not have stress and to know that even if we don't get any rain this summer, we know we've, we would would then, you know, re-look at at what cattle we've got and go, okay, maybe we'll turn our younger cattle off and we won't hold them. But we've got enough feed to comfortably get our breeders through until next summer. You know, we've got that bit of, um, leeway in there now so to work with rather than going into this summer going, if we don't get rain we're in trouble yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it, it is really nice to not actually be thinking about weather forecasts for a while <laughs> I <nice>. know. <laughs> it seems to always be forefront of every uh farmer and, and producer and uh um you know mind all the time and so yeah it must be it must be just a nice uh, break um for you um speaking of you know thinking about things all the time i mean i I don't know how you have managed and how you handle it but the emotional exhaustion of losing dogs um i i just don't know how how you cope and how you you manage that but you know you've been through so much with your dogs whether it's a snake bite or injury or 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 finding them new homes for retirement um i can only imagine it's it's heartbreaking every single time 
uh, how do you manage? Yeah, I think I think that's where 